Welcome to my podcast, Education Inspiration. I'm Jamie B, and I invite you to join me as I interview great teachers about how they ignite their students and tend to their own flames within. Let's begin. In this week's episode of Education Inspiration, I'm talking with Faminda Schaefer. Faminda's a super cool person. She worked for quite a while with at-risk youth in a traditional school setting, and now she's a program coordinator at the Project of the Quad Cities and a strong advocate for the LGBTQ community, mental health, and so much more. Here's my interview with Faminda. Enjoy. Hi, Faminda. Welcome to the show. Hi. It's good to be here. I'm so excited to have you today. So let's start this with um, you just telling a little bit about yourself. Um, Well, professionally, I am um, a program director for um, LGBTQ services as well as the victims of crime at the Project of the Club Cities in downtown Moline. Um, personally, I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I lead some, I lead some church stuff. Um, I was involved with some social activism before I took on this job at the project. I'm passionate about a lot of things, so that kind of shapes everything I do. You are an incredibly busy person, I know. I do want to ask you how long you have been at this current job position. So this is a brand new position. I started it in September. The executive director saw a need within the community to address some of the inequities that we have in the LGBTQ community. And I was meeting with her um, on a professional level with another project that I was working on. and. She invited me to apply for a position, um, you know, based on my experience and based on my passion and just based on how I fit within the company and how my views on what needed to be done aligned with their, you know, long-term strategic plan. Uh, so I did, and they welcomed me in board in September, and I have been um, balls out since September, <laughs> doing just a million things to, you know, make it a better place here in the Quad Cities for our queer people. I love it. And I want to talk to you more about this because I know you have been doing a ton of activities and you pretty much hit the ground running with trainings and activities that you've been doing. But I want to take a little bit of a step back first because you were a classroom teacher, correct? I was. Yes, I was. I started in education when I was 19 by default. So I worked at the front desk of the YMCA in Minnesota, and their youth development coordinator approached me and said, hey, we really like you to be part of the youth development. Think about it. And I was like, okay, like I'm 19. I've always worked with kids. My sister's 10 years younger than me, so I've kind of had that built-in um, leadership and um, this drive to work with children pretty much my entire life. And so I hopped on board with that. My for the first thing I did there was assist um, one of the youth developers in a program where we started with freshmen who were identified as at risk, at risk for failing out of school, at risk for um, academic things, at risk for behavior things, and they were a cohort and we were with them until they graduated. Um, and so I started there and I was there for a couple of years and then I went and worked with another developer and did some middle school that I ended up doing camp, um, you know, a unit director, I helped train the incoming counselors, the senior counselors, and then that, and then I finished college and I thought, what do I, what do I want to do? I really enjoy having the academic 
um, schedule. So I decided to pursue teaching. I did some, I actually went uh, to grad school a little bit and did some technology education, so welding and um, computer stuff. Um, but I always was drawn back to what I call the naughty kids. But they're the kids, I mean, they're the kids who are the most misunderstood, who have the, the most challenging behavior. And I enjoyed figuring out why they were doing what they were doing and then forging the relationships with them. And so that, so I had that research, what could I do to use that passion? And I fell into a behavior specialist under special education. And mm -hmm. so I did that from like 20, uh, it's probably 23 through um, 34, I think. And it takes a special person to work with the at-risk kids. There are not that many people that do it. That's, yeah, and the burnout rate is high. So I work specifically with that population. Um, so if I back up a little bit, between graduating, or right after I graduated, I was a substitute teacher, not through a school, not through a school district, but through another agency. And I was actually paired with a YWCA in an urban setting. And they had a, a high population of at-risk. And so even before I started teaching, I was with that population. So I would say, you know, since I started at 19, I worked until I was like 34, 35. But the majority of that time was with that population. I burnt out twice. So the first time I burnt out, I worked at a um, bridal salon and I sold wedding dresses. And I was a tuxedo manager, and I was really good at it. But it was just a, it was just a, like something to do to like give myself that break. And I kept on going back. Right. Um, to me, it's intrinsic. So you know, I would leave professional development for our staff. They asked me to talk about the behavior cycle and you know what are tips and tricks if they're at this point in the escalation cycle. What do you do? It was difficult for me to distill. The, what I knew intrinsically to give to people in a, something that they could understand who weren't behavior specialists. And that was the most difficult part because, you know, they'd say, okay, well, what would I do in this situation? Well, I can't tell you that because there's 17 things that I need to look at as the kid walks into the classroom. You know, like, what is, what is their hairstyle? Is it different than it normally is? Because if their hair is different, then that indicates maybe they didn't take their meds. Maybe they didn't have time to put goop in their hair. Maybe they're so stressed out they're running their fingers through it. Why is that? Did they eat breakfast? Was there a problem on the bus? Did they didn't say goodbye to their mom before they left the house? You know, did they did they stop their toe coming in? I don't know. So I can't give you a canned response to what you would do because you have to know the kid. You have to take that time to say, Hey, what's wrong? Or or notice everything. And because I the work I did, I was trained every day to look at my kid for new bruises for hair, like new hairstyles, if their clothes were clean, if their socks were clean, if they were wearing the same clothes as they were the day before, why? So, you know, my kids didn't come to me first. Um, they went to other classes and they would check in with me throughout the day, but I made sure that I laid eyes on every one of my kids before the first bell rang so I, I knew and I could intervene if any of those things seemed out of place. And sometimes they were and I had to pull them in. Um, I have yeah, to say it, something. It's, it's intrinsic. Yeah, that the word intrinsic is really interesting, and I have to say, it, it's interesting to hear you say my kids, 
as you're talking about the kids. And also, it's not so much talking in in a way that has to do with education as it is in a way of caring. You know, the, the difference between what I did and what, say, like a general ed teacher did is that I made sure that her basic needs were met first and foremost. Um, you know, so Maslow's hierarchy of need. Yes. I had to make sure that they were, you know, fed and secure and that their housing was stable and that, you know, their emotional needs were met because they cannot learn and nobody can learn if you are, you know, if you're not fed, if you don't have, you know, sustainable housing and, you know, uh, a meal that's coming every day, your brain is not going to learn. And sometimes that's the disconnect between the kids that I worked with because they were really tricky kids to work with and the rest of the population. So I worked, my caseload was 12 and I was a center-based program, meaning that most of my kids did not go to their home school, so they were busted. There were two other programs at the middle level at my last teaching position. The other two programs had two and three kids. I had 12 kids. Yeah, that's so, a lot. Because of, you know, just because of, that's just the way it shook out, and a lot of parents wanted to be their kids in my program. But the, that was a difference. I was looking at, I was coming at it differently than the gen ed teacher. You know, so I was looking at, um, that those core foundational pieces to make sure that they could be successful. And in general ed, you don't have that luxury a lot of times as a general ed teacher because you're looking at 35 kids in your class and looking at 12. Right. So I call it a luxury that I was able to do that. Um, not everybody, obviously, not everybody sees that because they're like, how do you do what you do? And I say, how do you do what you do as an English teacher? Because I could never do that, but give me 12 of the high-risk kids who will push every button. I can do that. And to me, that's a luxury that I can like make those relationships. So this is something but, I've often wondered. You touched on it a little bit. Do you think that it is possible for teachers to learn how to make those relationships? Because... We all know teachers that just tend to really get along well with the at-risk kids and then others where it just seems like they're pushing each other's buttons. So do you think it's possible to learn how to do that or do you think it's just something that's natural? Yes. So I think there is a component of it being natural because you know who the natural teachers are. You know who the people who are just natural at connecting with everybody, particularly the hard-to-love kids. But you can learn some of those strategies to be able to connect, but you have to want to learn. And what I've learned about teachers um, is that there's a, a certain component of control, right? Because you are the head of the classroom and you have to get through X, Y, and Z in order to make standards. So your expectation is that you are gonna come in, sit down, and you're gonna listen to me because I'm the teacher and I'm the adult. Um, but that doesn't always work. And to be able to give that control up and to be able to recognize that, hey, this kid is acting out, and it's not a reflection on what I'm doing necessarily, but it's a reflection on what's happening in this kid's life. And a lot of times it is environmental. So a lot of times, instead of saying what's wrong with this kid, we say what's wrong with the environment. So a lot of kids are overstimulated, and so they act out because of the stimuli around them. So you can learn to look at those triggers 
And then if you can mitigate those things, then you can increase the relationship you have with the kiddo. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think the most challenging aspect of your time in the classroom was? Hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's tricky. So yeah, I know. Went, There's a lot of hoops. It went, yeah. <laughs> so I went, from a, I went from districts in Minnesota and Wisconsin where parents were not engaged. Um, you know, I was lucky if I had a parent come to an IEP meeting. The ones that did were fabulous, but, you know, they just were like, do what you got to do to get my kid to either graduate or get a GED or, you know, do something so that way they can at least get a job. I moved to the district I worked in in Kansas. The parents were hyper-engaged. So the difficulty for me was going from having no support to having a lot of support. And in the, in a lot, I spent a lot of my time working with the parents and training the parents how to be with me, training the parents how to communicate, training the parents, um, retraining the parents and and helping them just rediscover their kid. Because a lot of times, you know, I taught middle school at the last time I taught. A lot of the parents were done because their kids, I mean, their behavior was so demanding and it was demanding at home and it was demanding at school and they got tired of getting phone calls. And so they were done. Like, they would tell me, I am done. So trying to help them engage again with their kid and love their kid, um, that was the most challenging part was the family dynamic. Well, I wouldn't even think about that. You know, I will occasionally have a couple of at-risk kids in my classroom, but I generally just have gen ed, general education, being a Spanish teacher. And so I wouldn't even consider that is being part of my job description. That's amazing that you took that on. I spent a lot of time emailing parents every day. Um, good things. I mean, even if... Yeah, I was going to say... They sometimes heard the bad things, but always email the good things. But um, just, you know, talking with them. And because a lot of parents, you know, by the time they got to me at middle or high, they felt abandoned by the teachers that worked with their kids. They felt abandoned by the school districts. They felt abandoned by the systems that were in place that were supposed to help their kids. And then I, they would get me and I was like, you need that? Well, I'm going to get it for you then. You know, like, because that's, I mean, I was a fierce advocate for my kids and the program that I ran because um, it's like, no, these, these kids can learn and these kids can be, you know, loved and appropriate and, and can you know, engage in, a, in a, an appropriate manner. But we have to provide that structure. And if you expect them to behave in X manner, then you need to give them Y. And if you're not going to give them Y, then I can't expect X. Right. So I really held, you know, I held the gen ed teachers, I held the you know, sped teachers, I held the kids, I held the parents. I helped the district. I helped everybody's feet to the fire so that way we could get the kid, you know, where they needed to be. And I set the bar high. You know, I set the bar really high for my kids because they could do it. Every single one could do it. Even if they were starting at rock bottom, they could all achieve. Some took longer than others. Some took more love than others. But they could all do it, and they all did it. At some point in their time with me, 
they all achieved what they what I knew they could achieve. They just needed the support. So I have a question for you that might be a little bit difficult. I hear the determination and the drive in your voice. So why did you leave teaching? The politics. Okay. Um, and again, because I got burnt out. Like I'd done it for so long, and I got burnt out. The other, the other reason was that we had a baby, and I had the opportunity to stay home, and I took it. Um, you know, people always ask me, "Do you miss teaching?" I miss teaching, but I don't miss teaching. You know, I don't miss right. everything else that went with teaching. So when we moved here, I got a job as a tutor, so I got to teach without having to deal with the politics. And then my current position, I get to go into schools and I get to teach kids stuff. And I get to talk to kids about stuff. And I get to work with parents and help them, you know, navigate some of the things. But I don't have a district I have to I have to worry about. I don't have, you know, my guidelines are pretty loose um, is what I'm doing. You know, best, I'll, I will always follow best practice. I mean, once a teacher, always a teacher. So I always follow best practice. So I always make sure that I'm, you know dotting my I's and crossing my T's, but I'm not bound by district rules, so I can go into a classroom, and I can talk about what, you know, I can talk about queer sex, and I can talk about STDs and STIs and HIV, and I can talk about, you know, here's where you get tested, and here's where you can get help, and here, have some condoms. You can't do that as a teacher. You're right. bound by those things. I'm not, and so it makes my job really fun to be able to teach but not have those stipulations. Yeah, it must be nice to not have to be so censored. Yes, and I can be out. So, like, I wasn't out when we were in Kansas. Because right. it wasn't a luxury we had, and I'm super out. Like, that's part of my job, and actually I joke with people that my job is to be gay. But it really is my job is to provide visibility. So many kids do not have accurate representation of what a queer person is in the Quad Cities. They have you know, queer art for the straight guy, and they have, you know, all these celebrities, but they just don't have somebody who is doing a job, has a family, owns a house, you know, like, doing a thing. That reality. In this area. Yeah, and so I make it a point to be very out, so that way the kids have, you know, a reference point that's reality. Um, the kids that I work with at church, for some of them, I'm the first gay person I've ever met, and... You know, they come from countries where it's criminalized. Well, at least gay. it's the first gay person that they know that they've met. That they know that they've met, the first right. out person. Right. But they come from countries where it's criminalized. And so it's really important for me to stand up and say, yeah, I'm gay. And I'm a Christian. And, you know, I'm a teacher. And I'm a mom. And I'm a wife. And and it's okay. Like, it's, it's okay. Right. And you're cool. So, and that makes it all the better, you know? They see, like, hey, people are people. It's amazing. Yep. In November, you were doing a daily gratitude practice, and you said that you could not begin to express the rightness that you feel in this work. And I feel like you really just touched on that with some of the things that you said. What are some other ways that you feel like it is just really the right place for you? You know, so the first two times the paycheck came in, I <laughs> was like, wait, are you going to be paid to do this? So that was the first, that was like, oh, yeah, I'm getting paid to do what I love. You know, every time, every job you have, there's always the days where you're like, ugh, I've had very 
few days, and most of it doesn't have to do with the work I'm doing, but just maybe I'm not feeling well or I'm not 100% myself, very little of it has to do with the work that I'm doing. Um, that's exciting. And really, it's like for it's been six, it's been seven months, really seven months next week that I've been with the project. And it has been seven grueling months where I've worked probably harder than I've worked as a teacher. But it is still exciting, and it's still, I mean, I get up in the day, you know, in the morning, and I'm excited to go to work, and I'm excited to make new connections and to, you know, connect people to what they need and to create things and be part of a bigger picture, you know, and to leave a legacy. I call this my legacy job at this point, my legacy work, because, I mean, I will retire from this position. That's awesome. this, is, this is what I this is what I'm doing until I'm done working um, because it's what it's it's 40 years the 40 years of my life has led me to this point I could not have done this job five years ago I couldn't have done it ten years ago um, I didn't have enough experience to do what I'm doing now can so, you explain like, it really is, it's every it's a culmination of my life is what I'm pouring into this work. Can you explain a little bit of some of the projects that you do? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I spent the first four months just out in the schools. I went to any school that would have me who had a GSA, Gay Straight Alliance. Um, sometimes they're called Gender Sexuality Alliances. Sometimes they're called Pride Clubs. Um, and just talking to the kids. What is going well in the Quad Cities for queer people? What do you need? What do you want? What do safe places look like? Um, you know, what What can I do? What can I build? What can I bring here to make your life better? I did an online survey, too, gathered some um, data that way. And so I'm kind of I'm in the process now of, of looking at that and then starting to build programs. Um, so that's kind of what's happening in the background. Um, on top of that, though, just making those connections with the GSA. So I help lead... A weekly GSA group at a middle school in Davenport. Um, I go every other week and I provide some kind of curriculum and I hang out with the kids and it's one of the largest groups um, on both sides of the river. And so I support that school because their original uh, advisor was moved. And so the choice was either I continue on or we let the kids not have a group and it was too important. So, you know, I, that's part of what I do. Um, I I co-facilitate a support group at another area high school for LGBTQ kiddos that have been identified um, as needing some extra support because of their sexuality by their school counselor. Um, so that's a weekly group we've been meeting um, since November, and they're the best part of my week. They're just amazing kids. Um, I'm on the Illinois Safe School Alliance Committee, and we are planning um, the school counselor academy is next week actually and we are hosting two lgbtq sessions um you know one on transgender a transgender panel and just one on you know gender expansiveness um you know pronouns and just basically how to interact with a queer person in the most appropriate manner in a k-12 setting um so i'm doing things like that i've been invited to speak to different um organizations like vera french um the school counselor academy nurses to just do some basic LGBT 101 information 
So I've done that. I am a trained um, youth mental health first aid person. So I'm, I'm running a training next week for people who, um, it's kind of like first aid, like uh, physical first aid, but it's mental health first aid for people who work with youth. So I'm training a bunch of people to be able to do that. Um, I do a lot of little things and I help with outreach. I've done a lot of events at different colleges and different um, you know, places where we do testing for you know all HIV and all the STIs. So I do the educational piece and kind of talk about what we do as a organization, and then our testers do the testing. You know, we the project's been around for 30, 30 some years, and there's a there's a large portion of the quantities that does not know we exist, and that's a shame. And so that I am like our most vocal supporter. <laughs> I am out there like, hey, let me tell you about the project. I do a lot of that. So. This is amazing. I feel like teachers could use some of that training about the pronouns and how to to speak to kids and the pronouns Uh that they choose. I know some that do, you know, sometimes teachers will do like the little index cards or whatever at the beginning of the year and ask different information. And I know a couple that are pretty forward thinking and that'll ask what pronouns kids like to be called but not very many people do and so that training would be very helpful I think in large groups in schools mm-hmm. and when I talk to the kids um, the young people on both sides of the river middle school and high school they all every single group I spoke with said that teacher training is something that is needed absolutely um, teacher, teacher training on pronouns specifically um, Everybody said transgender issues, but just like simple, like, hey, identify as he, call me he. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a body of research that, I mean, that they've been doing that, even simply acknowledging somebody's preferred pronoun and preferred name, you know, shaves percentage points off of suicide ideation and suicide completion. So, like, but we don't talk about it. You know, we don't talk about the mental health piece that accompanies um, being queer and that also needs to be talked about. I think we need to like shout this from the top. Our queer kids are dying at a higher rate than their, you know, heterosexual counterparts simply because they're gay because we don't support them. Yeah. And why why aren't I talking about that? Why aren't we pushing the pronouns more at school? Why aren't we talking about in kindergarten and first grade that you know what? Don't line up by boy and girl. Line up by people who have tennis shoes on or people who, right. you know, have whatever. Like, why we need to de-gender how that. we interact with our kids. I love that. That's that's an excellent point. You know, we've just, we've been trained all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And we have to be detrained. Yep. So we and really do hard. need... And even for me, it is hard to... Um, Remember, I meet so many kids and so many adults, and sometimes my default is using they because I don't want to offend by saying he or she in the wrong. So I use they because I know it's not he or she, but I don't remember because, again, I've met hundreds of people, and I don't always remember. So I just, by default, use they because I feel like it's safer than using the, you know, binary Wow. Yeah, I can see this. I can see why you're so excited. This is incredibly important work that you are doing. 
And you're still teaching, which is great because uh-huh. you're an amazing uh-huh. educator and it's super important and you're making the connections with kids and it's awesome. I love it. Are there are there any Yeah, I can tell you're having fun with it too, so that's great. Are there any resources that you would like to mention for those listeners who may need them? Yeah, so um, the other part of my job is victims of crime. So anybody who's been victimized in any way can access services through an organization. The biggest one is mental health. So if you've been bullied, if you um, are a survivor of sexual assault, human trafficking, domestic violence, I can connect you to services. You know, within our agency and then outside of our agency. And that is not common knowledge, I think, at this point, but that's a huge piece of it. Um, You know, we offer, so mental health is really hard to access in the Quad Cities. Accessing a mental health provider who is queer friendly is even harder. So our um, therapist on staff is, you know, is is versed, well-versed in uh, working with the LGBTQ community, and it's free. It's a free service. If you identify under the LGBTQ umbrella, you can access free mental health through the project. Um, that's huge. And that's, our wait time is short. That's awesome. Short. And, you know, there's national hotlines. There are, you know, that's specific to our trans friends that are specific to, you know, LGBT that's um, specific to youth. There's, a, there's some um, youth-specific texting hotlines that are staffed by trained, um, you know, trained therapists or trained kids, like high school kids, so they can talk to somebody who is their age about stuff. There's, you know, the National Suicide Hotline, there's the National um, Domestic Violence Hotline. Family Resources is another local organization that does work within the domestic violence and um, victims of crime arena, and they've got a variety of things that people can access. So there are resources out there that people don't really know about. United Way, Salvation Army, you know, Skip Along has some stuff. People think of Skip Along as um, Just you know, the daycare, daycare, but they have yeah. a whole arm of you know social services. Any number of food pantries, anybody who's unstably housed. You know, I can link them to shelters, domestic violence shelters, general shelters, um, people who need uh, nourishment support. You know, I can link you to you know, food pantries. You know, there's just a lot of resources that we don't think about, but they we have a lot here. We just it's hard to navigate by yourself. So absolutely. So call me, and I will help you navigate that if you need something. Excellent. And if you fall under my umbrella, great. If not, I will link you to some place like that. You're awesome. So is Thanks. there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? I don't, I don't think so. Like, you know, we covered a lot. I'm just trying to think. Um, so my free time, I like to travel. I don't get to do it a lot. Uh, <laughs> I like to read books, but I like to read, you know, like, gay romance and I'm gonna put that out there as my guilty pleasure um we all have to have some guilty pleasures <laughs> yeah and I and I know that I read them when work gets a little hectic that I will read or life I will read I tend to read 
different things to like shut my brain off. Oh yeah, for um, sure. You know? Yeah, I like these little witch supernatural books that yeah. are like so they're so goofy and they're supposed to be funny and they're just brain dead books. So I know what yep. you're talking about. Yep. Yep. So sometimes <laughs> sometimes I don't want to read an academic book because I read academic crap all day long. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I I am pretty vocal or very vocal about my history with um, mental health. I had postpartum after I had, you know, Zoe and I'm really vocal about that piece of it, about you know, the aftermath of that because we don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about particularly as you know, people who have given birth, we don't talk about what that looks like, um, what that feels like, how isolating postpartum can be, you know, how deep in the rabbit hole you can get. I mean, I was I was suicidal. I had a plan. I had, you know, I had a way to minimize um, the devastation, you know, so I, I, my plan included, you know, where I would do it so that Zoe or Megan wouldn't find me. Like, I had a very well laid out plan. As somebody who did suicide risk assessment in a previous life, I should have been able to run that assessment on myself. But I was like, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. Right. Um, we don't talk about therapy. I go to, you know, I go, I have a therapist, but I, at this point, I'm on, you know, spot check. Like, I don't go all the time. But I was going, like, twice a week for a, a while because I was, that was where I was at. So I'm pretty vocal about my own struggle with mental health. I can, my kid is six, and I still struggle with that postpartum. So I'll have it for the rest of my life. Like I just, that my body has now forever changed because of that. And I'm open about that. Um, I was sexually assaulted when I worked at a school district and I stuffed that for a long time until I moved here and um, and I decompartmentalized and that was, and then the postpartum triggered and then that, and it was a hot mess. So I'm pretty vocal about that piece of it as well that particular situation um, definitely made me a stronger person and I drew better boundaries. Um, you know, when I was 30, I was 30 when that happened and my first 30 years I didn't really have boundaries and then that happened and now I have boundaries. So I'm pretty vocal about, you know, that piece of it, um, what happened to me. So I think those are intricate pieces of my story. That have brought you to where you are. Yeah. Yes. And they yeah. help you to be a role model for the kids who've had similar things happen or to the women who are going going through or have gone through similar feelings with postpartum depression and yeah we, we can't help people and we can't help make these things better if we don't talk about them so i love that exactly. message that you're saying we've got to talk about these things yeah and same with like so we were i was closeted right when i lived in kansas and here i'm like oh like super out I sometimes I wonder if because it's not always safe to be queer. It's just it's not. The reality is is that it's not safe to be different. It's not safe in our society to be black. It's not safe in our society to be Muslim. It's not safe in our society to be a woman. It's not safe in our society to be gay. And I am, you know, an Asian gay female living life pretty loud right now because I need people to see the queerness that we have. And sometimes I wonder if that puts me at risk and does that put my family at risk? You know, because I don't want to become a target, but the reality is, is that I'm, I'm out there and I'm putting myself out there and, you know, I need to watch my, you know, I need to, I'm, I'm a 
super hyper aware of my surroundings and my safety. Right. Um, you know, but it's really important that I do this work, and it's really important that I'm, you know, part of the community doing that. And I talk to the kids. You know, never, you know, when you talk to kids, I was like, oh, you're just an old adult. <laughs> but when I tell them, oh, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pansexual, and I have a wife and a kid, they're like, oh, you're one of us? Awesome. And then they just, like, spew stuff at me. Yeah. But it's not until I realize I'm part of their community. Like, oh, wait, you're a gay person. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, you're not Right, they connect. Who's coming they... in, you know? So, like, to me, it's really important to say to them, hey, I'm gay. You can tell me. I get it. <laughs> you yeah. have that connection. So, yes. Yes. So, yeah, being out and representing and talking about, just talking about all of it is, you know, like I tell people I'm 40 I really don't care anymore <laughs> I know the filter is gone you hit 40 it's like, like bye bye <laughs> right like you know what let's just talk about this shit yes absolutely love me or whatever I'm just you know I'm I don't even care yeah. you know, <laughs> right <laughs> don't like me bye-bye <laughs> Yes, exactly. Hey, one more question, and then I ask yeah. everybody this. What keeps the fire within you burning? Okay. So, I've learned over the course of my marriage that if I, we are not good at home, I am not good outside of the home. So, um, you know, postpartum was difficult. It was difficult for all of us and um coming out of that you know took a lot of work for me um going from a stay-at-home mom to you know a career woman we had some adjustment period for that you know my passion though what keeps it what keeps the flame lit is that i love what i do and just hands down i, I can't explain it it's like the intrinsic thing with the behavior doing what i'm doing is intrinsic to me right now because i just want to make the world's so much better for our queer friends or my, the kids that I work with as well as the adults that are, you know, that I'm working with as well. But I can't do that if I'm not grounded at home. And so I always, you know, I think of my wife as like this rock because she's steady. She does, like she's steady, right? And I'm the more passionate one and I'm like, you know, flinging around the universe, <laughs> but I'm always tethered to her and sometimes that tether is really thin and I don't, I don't do well. I don't work well when that tether is thin. And so I've had to make, you know, conscious decisions and choices to make sure that I nurture that and nurture that tether so that it's not so thin and doesn't break. Um, that's what keeps me going and keeps my passion going is that if I'm not good at home, I'm not good outside of my home. That's really cool that you recognize that. And you know to work on that. It took some learning. <laughs> it took some learning to, you know, kind of figure that out. But Well, that's why we're here, yeah. living and learning. <laughs> yeah. This... So yeah, that, that's it. That's what, makes, that's what makes me able to do what I'm able to do. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Faminda. I have really enjoyed this you conversation. You're so welcome. It has that's been awesome. fun. Okay, I'm going to talk to you after this and get some uh, contact information. Okay. All right, thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Faminda mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I've got to say that Maslow has popped into my head hundreds of times over my 21 years of teaching. It's the education idea from college that stuck with me the most. It's good for teachers to remember, whether they have at-risk students or not, that all kids, even the ones who have food and shelter and stable homes, are going to have days when their minds simply are not going to be on school. Maybe their parents had a big fight that morning, grandma's in the hospital, their dog's missing. We don't know. We have to be cognizant that school is not the only thing going on in kids' lives, and we have to remember to be human in our interactions. As for LGBTQ issues, I'd love to have some professional development geared toward this at my school. I want to treat people how they want to be treated, but I don't always know what's right. And there are a lot of people in our culture right now who are quick to judge and jump on mistakes. So it's really difficult to admit when you just don't know something. It's easier to just try to avoid a potential problem altogether. In the classroom at best, that might look like just not talking to a kid. At worst, it might look like mistreating them, right? I don't know where I heard it, but I truly believe in the idea that once you know better, you can and should do better. So if teachers were given the training, the knowledge, then I'd like to think that we as a whole would be much more effective with LGBTQ youth in the classroom. The Minda's living her life loud and proud, and that takes courage. I'm aware of my privilege, but I sometimes forget just how fortunate I am. No one is judging my marriage. I don't feel like my marriage or my kids are threatened or in any danger due to whom I love. My favorite show is Schitt's Creek. If you haven't watched it, you really should. It recently won a Canadian Screen Award for Best TV Comedy last week. At the end of his acceptance speech, Dan Levy said, In Schitt's Creek, we're writing a world that examines the transformational effects of love when the threat of hate and intolerance has been removed from the equation. While that's not a reality for many, our goal is to shine a light out there that asks the question, what if it was? Wouldn't we all be happier if we were able to love out loud? If you or someone you know lives in the Quad Cities area and would like to know more about the project of the Quad Cities, please see the show notes for today's episode. That's it for today. I'm Jamie B. Thanks for listening.